Chapter Sixteen of Household Puzzles by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Sixteen: Puzzling People. There was an air of expectancy about the Randolph household. They were in what Maria called a state of cleared upness, and gathered in the back parlor at an unusually early hour in the afternoon. Tom had gone to the station to meet the newcomers, Faith and Baby Halstead. He had gone rather against his will. In fact, this innovation was not of his appointing. "'I don't want to go prowling through the depot in search of a strange girl with red hair and a baby,' he growled when the arrangement was being made. "'She will be dowdy-looking. Women with babies always are. And I shall be expected to carry the baby, and it will have a stick of candy in one hand and a hunk of gingerbread in the other.' all of which will be much more respectable than a great many positions in which you must have found yourself of late, Ermina observed serenely. At any rate, you will have to go. We can't expect father to do it, and as we have a brother, it is supposed to be his place to be courteous to company. Especially the boarders, chimed in Maria. Don't let us lose sight of the fact that this company is going to pay a wholesome price for her board every week of her life. You would have been considerably wiser if you had allowed her to set her own price for board. She is worth five hundred thousand to speak within bounds. Horace is acquainted with their business lawyer, and we met him in New York. He says this girl has as much as that in her own right, and that she is Auntie Fay's heir. Besides, she would have paid you a splendid price for her board, for they have the name of being liberal people. This bit of advice and information came from Mrs. Horace Monroe, who was at home spending the day, overlooking the arrangements for receiving the newcomers, and giving advice freely on all subjects. Ermina's lip curled visibly, and Maria, as usual, spoke her thoughts. "'We haven't reached as low a notch as that, Helen, if we are poor,' She asked us to name our price, just as any lady of delicacy of feeling would have done, and we did it. A good fair price it is, too, more than she would have to pay in hundreds of places where she could have gone. But it no more than pays us for the extra expense and trouble it will be to us, and I for one wouldn't have taken a cent more than that. When I take to begging for a living, it shall be out and out begging. I won't whine around any one and say— you are rich and we are poor, and you are our twenty-third cousin, you know, so please give us five times the worth of your living, for sweet charity's sake, and call it bored, you know. Mrs. Monroe laughed. You are ridiculously fastidious in your notions, child, she said, with infinite patronage in her voice. But you will recover from some of your follies by the time you have rubbed through with as much life as I have. Take what you can get, and have as nice a time as you can in this world, is my motto. She spoke serenely, much more serenely than Helen Randolph was given to doing. She looked well, too. Black silk dresses and real lace ruffles were undoubtedly becoming to Helen Monroe. She seemed made to adorn them. One would never imagine that she had turned her dresses upside down and wrong side out, and darned forty holes under the ruffles. This was Ermina's comment on the serene, faultlessly dressed lady, and this just expressed it. She looked like one born to the position which she was now filling, so easily and gracefully had she slipped into the real things, at least so far as lace and silk and velvet were concerned. 
many were the surmises concerning the appearance of the coming lady i think she is tall and thin and pale grace said don't you believe she is ermina i don't believe anything about it she was perhaps three years old when i saw her or four didn't she say and i must have been very little more than that it is a poor age for determining whether one is tall and thin and pale she was a pretty little thing wasn't she helen not particularly pretty but she contrived to make every one imagine that she was i never quite liked her everybody humoured her so continually that it gave me a sense of never having my own way that must certainly have been trying to your disposition maria said merrily i can't conceive of there having been a time when you didn't try pretty hard for your way maria said mrs monroe as she finished off one of the little crimson wheels that she was crocheting and laid it against the black ground of her dress to try the effect i hope for your sake that she won't be sharp two sharp people in one family would be very rasping to the nerves and as i remember her i should say that it was the most likely thing in the world that she is sharp i'm glad i don't live here this last with a complacent glance at the house nearly across the street with its lace curtains at the windows and its body brussels carpeting that her mind's eye beheld mrs monroe had always looked with longing eyes upon body brussels carpets now she trod on them with satisfied feet every day of her life further comment was interrupted by the roll of carriage wheels and the exclamation from grace there they come in one of smith's hacks said mrs horace monroe that's just like tom when he knows stewart's are ever so much nicer why she isn't larger than a minute ermina said peering from the window at the small creature who sprang briskly from the carriage after giving a parcel carefully into tom's hands tom has the baby exclaimed grace in a tone of intense satisfaction he declared he would not touch him what else could he do with him maria said composedly why don't they bring him in and not stand bothering over the baggage stand back from the window maria mrs monroe said authoritatively it is in wretched taste to stare at people grace do sit down ermina aren't you going to the door to meet her you forget that you are miss randolph now on the contrary said ermina coolly i have a realizing sense of it you are the only one who seems disposed to ignore that important fact please to remember that we do not live in a stone house with lace curtains and lambrequins so we have a right to stare just as much as we please no i'm not going to the door as if we were slaves and she our queen tom knows the way in apparently he did for at this point the door swung open and tom set a bundle down in the middle of the room said bundle shook itself and revealed inside of its white cloak a small fair blue-eyed baby who looked around the room with a delighted smile clapped a pair of small fat hands and said emphatically ta tear oh the little darling said grace rushing toward him and the rest were welcoming his sister faith which is which she said looking earnestly from one to the other oh you are maria now aren't you there what a triumph i told auntie fay i remembered your eyes now i have proved it and this is helen or no mrs monroe 
you live nearly across the way tom says isn't that splendid baby and i can call on you every morning oh isn't my baby a darling altogether mrs monroe's dignified reception in which she was to prove to this young heiress that she at least was equal in position and culture to herself seemed not to fit the present occasion one might as well have to be ceremonious with a robin some way they all forgot dignity and propriety and were in full tide of eager talk when tom came from the trunks and the hack driver isn't she a case he said to maria following her to the kitchen for a confidential chat i don't know whether she is as harmless as a dove or as wise as a serpent or both or neither i know i never met such a creature since i was born why maria she knows more about our neighbors than you do she asked all manner of questions concerning them and was as interested in the number of children each of them owned as if she meant to start a select school in this neighborhood to-morrow and live on it the rest of her days indigestible living said maria tom won't you get me a pail of water she might not think it aristocratic in me to go myself and she stands looking out of the window i see her they had a very merry tea mr randolph came home early dreading the presence of a stranger eager to have the meeting over and to get back to the office the newcomer stood at the window as the gate clicked is that he she asked eagerly is that uncle randolph who is that other gentleman a young one that is my husband helen answered with conscious pride mr monroe was a handsome young man she expected him to make an impression oh faith said then it's all in the family we'll go and meet them where's my baby and catching him from grace's arms she perched him on her shoulder and ran gaily out to the hall they heard her clear ringing voice we're coming to meet you uncle randolph baby and i we are going to call you uncle randolph both of us because we have no uncle of our own and we've always wanted one kiss the new uncle pearly you don't mind being our uncle do you sir baby touched his cool pink tongue to mr randolph's sallow cheek and immediately thereafter seized upon his gold-bowed glasses by way of recompense yes i mind it said mr randolph heartily i shall be most thankful to have a niece and nephew you don't remember my wife i suppose and his voice faltered you are just her size i remember her distinctly faith said earnestly not her face you know but her kisses i was homesick and she kissed me like mamma i never forgot them mr randolph bent over and kissed her on cheek and lip leaving the touch of a tear on her face he was not given to caresses was not a demonstrative man but he too remembered tender clinging kisses that he used to have and received no more faith halstead's place in his heart was secured mr monroe had meantime been divesting himself of his duster and making silent advances toward friendship with the bright-eyed baby he turned to faith now i am not to be left out in the cold i trust he said with a winning smile i think according to the compact which has just been formed i must be a cousin oh yes said faith heartily you are helen's husband she told me so she said it as if she thought you were very nice and as for baby and me we are glad of all the relations we can get 
we have been alone a long time do you like baby kisses pearly have you a kiss for cousin horace but pearly was seized with one of those obstinate fits peculiar to babydom and would neither kiss nor shake hands nor make a bow in fact he ignored the gentleman completely and tugged mercilessly at mr randolph's whiskers but the introductions which mrs munroe had planned to conduct with due ceremony were over and the whole company went gaily out at maria's call to the table in the little sitting-room that same evening faith made the acquaintance of peter armstrong the early spring evenings were cool for baby natures and at sunset a fire was built in the cosy back sitting-room which with the large room adjoining had been given up to faith tom's business calling him elsewhere peter volunteered to be fire-builder and was bent down in front of the stove when faith's clear voice addressed him you are peter armstrong i think and i am faith halstead shall we shake hands on it peter stood up suddenly in great surprise a small white hand on which a single diamond gleamed was held out to meet his red rough one this was an utterly new experience to him nevertheless he held his red hand out for her to do with it what she would and she clasped it cordially pearly sat in the middle of the floor gravely watching the operation and at this point he laughed showing a half dozen dainty pearls and clapped his small fat hands baby approves of our acquaintance said faith you must consider that a compliment he doesn't like everybody peter smiled broadly and snapped a clumsy thumb and forefinger at baby whereupon that small being went into a perfect ecstasy of laughs and crows and spatting of hands baby believed in peter faith's next sentence was as unexpected and quite as bewildering to her new acquaintance as the handshaking had been i'm much interested in your method of reading the bible she said simply peter stared my method he repeated in a dazed sort of a way he hadn't the least idea that there was such a thing as method about his reading yes tom told me i like it ever so much if my name had been mary or sarah i should have done the same how did you happen to think of it now tom's information had been given in this wise finding his companion interested in every man woman child and even animal that they saw during their ride from the depot he had said among other things as he chanced to see peter crossing the street there's peter bible and she responded peter bible what a very queer name he's a queer fellow tom had said that name is one of my coining part of it at least his name is peter but the bible part grew out of the fact that he has lately taken to hunting up the old fellow who figured in those days and comparing notes with him then faith had asked numberless questions concerning peter armstrong and secured his history so far as tom could give it so now she said how did you happen to think of it tom told me about him peter said simply i don't know much about the bible ma'am i'm reading it over for the first time but he mentioned to me that there was a peter in the bible and i naturally wanted to know about him well how do you like him faith asked as she rescued a match and a pair of scissors from pearly's grasp i'm disappointed in him peter said gravely the sad perplexed look which she had first noticed sweeping over his face as he bent down again to the fire faith tried to suppress a laugh 
one of her propensities was to laugh at inconvenient times, but it certainly did seem funny to hear this rough-faced, roughly clothed boy express his disappointment in St. Peter with his eighteen hundred years of glory about him. "'What has he been doing?' she asked when she could command her voice. Peter sighed heavily. "'He's so queer,' he said gravely. "'He does things when you least expect him to.' now night before last i was reading about the wonderful things that jesus said to him how he called him blessed and said thou art peter and upon this rock i will build my church and i thought how happy peter must have been and it seemed to me he could never do anything wrong again and last night only a few verses after that i came upon this one then peter took him and began to rebuke him saying be it far from thee lord this shall not be unto thee and he was speaking to Jesus himself. Only think of that now. Began to rebuke him. That does beat all I ever heard of. I don't know who could help being disappointed in him. The laugh was gone from Faith's face. In its place was sadness. I know, she said musingly. How like ourselves it is. Ma'am, said Peter, in wondering amazement, do you think it is the way folks would do now? I can't think it. I know I wouldn't speak that way to the Lord himself. Faith smiled. I am thinking of one part of the words and you of another, she said. I was thinking of, this shall not be unto thee. How often we say it in spirit. I have done it myself and gone away and forgotten it. I don't understand, said Peter humbly. Why, have you never promised the Lord, this shall not be? thou shalt not have it to bear, I will not bring this reproach upon thy name again, I will not grieve thy spirit any more, and before the day and perhaps the hour was past, have done that thing, or worse than that, again and again. Peter laid down the armful of kindlings he had been gathering up, preparatory to departing, and, rising to his feet, stood looking at faith with earnest, searching eyes. I see, he said at last, why, yes, I understand you, but I never thought of it, never. But Peter didn't mean that way, though. It wasn't respectful in him. I know it. I am not excusing Peter. I think he repented bitterly, but I was thinking of myself as being led through different steps into a like boastfulness of faith and devotion. I see, Peter said again. There's two ways of reading that story. One way is to find fault with Peter, who is in heaven and out of all the fuss and trouble forever, and another way is to measure my own heart by it, and see whether it will stand looking into. I understand about the faults of Peter, ma'am, but I never thought anything about the other part until this minute, and I am truly obliged to you. End of chapter 16